Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown, episode 78, the one before Livingston away. Celtic won 2-0 against St. Mirren in midweek, 23 games unbeaten, a new record of the last couple of years, um, and improved performance from the last couple of games, it has to be said. It wasn't amazing, it didn't blow anybody away, but Celtic are still top of the table going into what is probably the most important fixture of the year because of the manner of which Celtic have struggled against Livingston over the last couple of years or so. Alan Morrison, a.k.a. Celtic by Numbers. Hello, how are you doing? Hello. Yeah, hi, Enda. Hi, guys. Hi, James. And hi, James guys. with us as well. James, how are you getting on? I'm hanging in there. feel like a beached whale. My <laughs> lovely bride had her birthday yesterday, and I uh, was gluttonous with dessert, so... Um, I might just roll over and fall off my chair here. What what kind of what kind of cake person are you? Are you an ice cream cake kind of person, chocolate cake? Well, it wasn't about me, Enda. Don't be a narcissist. It was my wife's birthday, so <laughs> uh, I went to a local Italian place that uh, got a dish of tiramisu, which she loves, and then also a uh, a cheesecake. So we didn't actually do a a cake, so to speak, but um, yeah, got two two options and. Of course, I had to have one of each. Yeah. And those cheese, those cheesecakes are not low fat, are they? Oh no, no. <laughs> in any not. shape or form. No, this this was uh, dense, rich, and heavy, and um, yeah, yeah. I, pro- probably about. Uh, and then I, I made a um, uh, a, be- a bacon wrapped uh, beef brisket meal. So that was the entree. So yeah, I'm, I'm estimating. I my my expected calories were about. Uh, Nine thousand, I think, for the for yeah. the night, on top of a couple of uh, loggers I had with it. So yeah, well played. Yeah. <laughs> no, can't complain with that. Classic American diet. If I want to throw that stone at you, oh come on now, it was no, Italian. Well, <laughs> Italian American. Italian American. Yeah. The, worst, <laughs> exactly. the worst. The worst of the worst. <laughs> Listen, there's tons of comments coming in on YouTube already. And if you're watching on YouTube, do drop us a comment. Let us know what you thought of the game and give us a few questions as well. And we'll try to get to some of them before 
the end of the show. We'll kick into things anyway. 2-0 Celtic, uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers broke the deadlock, and then Cal McGregor getting the second to secure the win after Celtic had made a couple of substitutions and had sort of drawn St. Marin out um, from their shell. Look, this was, again, something that we've seen over the last couple of weeks, and I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong. It's to be expected with teams like St. Marin who have the budget like St. Marin and the rest of them. This was a, you know, seven men behind the ball at all times, backs to the walls, parking the bus, no attempt to win the game. Not saying that's a bad thing from St. Mirren, but I'm saying is that it really stifles Celtic at times. So, Alan, I'll get your general thoughts on the game initially. This improved. This is an improvement uh, from the last <laughs> couple of games, but still not where we probably want Celtic to be. No, I, I I was kind of okay with it because, as I say, what I was worried about was that it, it was, I think, from the account the second half of the Aberdeen game, it was about four and a half poor poor performances, poor team performances, irrespective of results. And as I said many times before, more interested in performances. That's more predictive of future performances than than results. Um, yeah, we, we, we had a bunch of bad performances in a row. That's a real worry as it's getting into the business end of the season. So I was actually okay with it. I thought it was a decent performance. And there's a lot of actually bits to be, uh, you know, optimistic about in that sense. Um, I think we've got to get accept the fact that like you said that this is how teams are going to play against Celtic. Um, it's not that it's completely new, but I think because obviously Postecoglou is very adamant that he's not going to change his approach to the game, it makes it even more likely that you know, when, when opposition see that something works, they're, they're going to go with that. So Hibs, like, like Hibs, five at the back, you know, as soon as the wingers got it, because if you look at the goals and assists this season, the wingers are, are being prolific, right? So you double team those guys as soon as they get the ball. You had two two holding midfielders, like you had seven defenders in the team, not not seven behind the ball, seven defensive players in the team, and then two wing two wide players that tried to get up and support uh, one striker. Uh, that one striker kind of shuttled around, but pretty much let Carter Vickers and Starfelt have the ball, and then the rest of the team are either man marked or they're surrounded in the land of the giants by. By lots and lots of players, it, with Hibs it was they man marked the two number eights, and, and and it was a challenge to get them on the ball. Uh, Mirren didn't man mark so much, but it was just really claustrophobic in that in that final third. So what? But what did Celtic do better? Um, I think they tried to put a lot quicker vertical passing into the game. Um, there was a lot more early. Uh, early balls going forward, and you know, and then of course people get frustrated because you're giving the ball away a lot more. Well, listen, that's that's what happens, right? If you don't want to give the ball away, you just go around the you know the shoehorn of futility, uh, and you're going back and round and back and round all the time. You've got to try and put some more verticality in the passing. The second mm-hmm. thing that really noticeable was um, when we did get into wide positions, it was low flat crosses. Uh, I, I, we were hard. We didn't put in too many aerial crosses. Although Maeda had a little competition with himself, I think, to hit the corner flag from his headers in the, in the first half. But but generally speaking, we're trying to put in the ball low and flat and cutbacks. And again, think about Livingston coming up on Sunday. Um, if you put high balls into the box, you know it doesn't. You don't need a big budget to buy players that are big and strong and can head the ball away. Any professional football team in the world can afford a player that does that. But if you put low flat crosses in and then it becomes a contest of speed and thought and technique, 
and that's where having better players should make a difference. So it makes absolute sense to get the ball into the box low, low and low and flat and hard, um, and don't make it an arm wrestle in, in that sense. So those were the two sort of positives I took from it. Um, I, th- I thought also what was really interesting was, um, I, I, so so this is I'm, I'm going to risk incurring wrath from people who who were especially those at the ground, but I, I do do feel the crowd got on the team's backs. There was a palpable tension around about the 33rd minute. It kicked off, and there was murmurings and grumblings, and every ball that kind of got. Um, lost and and you do we, this is a young team right and I know you know no one's going to feel sorry for Celtic and rightly so but there's not many players on that part that started that game that are seasoned in, in getting titles over the line okay and by and large it's a it's a young team and they've not been down this path before <clears throat> so we do I think we do need to stay with them and it was very interesting when in the second half when you know um, Bitton and Rogic came on and suddenly you had a midfield of Bitton, Rogic and McGregor and then Forrest came on and suddenly you have got a core of guys who've been down mm. this path before. And, 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 I, and I kind of thought, I can see how we could manage this um, now through the rest of the season. I can't, you know, thinking about the combination of like Sunday, we're going to need speed, agility, quickness of thought, quickness of movement in midfield. But if we do get a goal ahead or two goals ahead or something, you know, then you've suddenly got these options that suddenly are people who are not going to flap or panic if, if we're only one nil up with twenty minutes to go. They've been down this this road before, so I think that that aspect of the choices that we've now got really kind of hit home to me last night, and I, and I took kind of comfort from that. So those were the three sort of positives that I took from what was again a difficult performance, but listen, you've got to give St Mirren credit for what they did. And this is going to be the way it is. So get used to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Loads to unpack there. But James, I'll get your general thoughts on the performance from last night as well. Yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll pull back a little bit and think about try and uh, consider this within the context of uh, big picture. So I, I in looking at uh, all of the um, kind of performance data that I have uh, dating back to uh, season 15, 16, uh, and, and I focus, um, obviously not that season, but subsequent seasons uh, between Celtic and Rangers a lot for obvious reasons. There seems to be a seasonality component. And again, this goes back to my analytics background, financial markets, where people do all these kinds of studies with seasonality. Um, and I think, uh, you know, there's a, a fairly consistent downturn in performance levels for both sides this time of year. Uh, in in seasons, I mean, it's a it's a who knows if it's real or whether it's the statistical noise. Um, but as someone who once lived for six weeks in Scotland from February into early March, um, and you know the uh, uh, the type of weather that you're dealing with, the conditions you're living in, if you're not a local, so to speak, <laughs> um, the lack of sunlight, lack of daylight, you know, you, you look at these kinds of things that people have to deal with in life um and how and if you just think about it from a human level and you know you're, you have to go perform at work uh, as an elite athlete um you know so i i just wanted to mention that because i found that interesting looking back historically is that this there seems to be something with potentially with that james is it is it just right just to throw in a thought is it could it be that it's a, a function of the the way that the scottish league is structured right so we're in this pre-split stage 
about we're getting to the end of the first the, that third round of fixtures and and the, the one of the benefits of that split system is that virtually every team has still got a lot to play for so there could, yeah. there could be there could be something around that so because because actually intuitively i would have thought this is the time of year when um celtic and and and, and the rangers team because of the squad size Right. They would be they'd be moving away from teams because injuries would start to impact other squads that they couldn't cope with. But actually, what's happening, and I agree with you, it might be something to do with the fact that all the teams are still in it. Now, when you get to the split, and and and, and then as people can't move any much further, then you might see some one-sided games. But at the moment, every game's live, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think that's. You know, I think there's a lot of uh, interesting, plausible. Um, theories as far as why it might be one i have is uh you know again thinking it more from a uh human psychological perspective and mood is you know when you when you when when you have teams with a significant athletic advantage to other teams um if, if kind of social mood and and uh mental health let's call it or the cyclicality of mood uh, can compress that differential a little bit, meaning that what you normally have, you know, if everyone's feeling good and playing at optimal levels, obviously, you know, you're, you're going to have, um, uh, you know, a, a performance advantage with, with better clubs and, you know, Celtic and Rangers tend to have more non-locals. Uh, mm-hmm. So how many guys from places that they're not used to, you know, being, only uh, daylight from 9 a.m. to 4:30 p.m. and cloudy when it is sun. You know this quote unquote sun is up. Um, you know, so I, I, that that's kind of my harebrained uh, theory as far as why it might be a seasonal factor. I think yours is is reasonable and interesting too. And there are probably some kind of combination of all this stuff as well as you know kind of cumulative fixture congestion and you know fatigue that could be uh, related to that. Um, so I, th- I thought I'd mention that cause I, it's pr- probably not something, um, a lot of people have discussed or thought about, um, as far as these specific games, I'm actually doing a study right now. I'm probably going to write an article about it on, um, uh, you know, pitch, the confluence of pitch size, uh, how aggressive opponents are playing us. I mean, there's metrics that particularly in stats bomb that gauges like how, 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 uh, aggressively they're, um, addressing our attackers right so when our attackers get the ball within two seconds within five seconds within 10 seconds how how aggressive our opponents in engaging us um and then what's the average defensive distance so when are teams engaging us defensively so you know some of this can be thought about relative to parking the bus right so how how advanced are teams getting um, and then if you think about it from a spatial perspective, right, the bigger pitches, it's harder. Um, you know, if, if you're a mother while playing at Celtic Park and you're pressing high up the pitch, think about the compounding effects of how much space that creates. Uh, so what I've started to look at is there seems to be some pattern where you get teams that are, um, you know, more passive and bunkering. And we are having trouble against that. And, and that's, again, that's intuitive. The question is, you know, the relative degree of passivity. Um, so you get somebody like Livingston, their pitch is smaller, it's narrower, they're bunkering, and they're actually not as passive as, let's say, um, St. Mirren was on, on the weekend. Uh, so they're, they're using that smaller space 
to be a little bit more aggressive. Whereas on a big pitch, I think, you know, strategy wise, some of the teams that are having more success against us are being more, even more passive, meaning that they're keeping, mm-hmm. if you think about it, they're, they're keeping their shape, they're staying narrow and they're not getting pulled out as much. So I, I think, and again, if you think about this intuitively, when we've got the better players, we've got the higher skill levels, anytime we're pulling teams out of their shape, that creates the ability for us to play these triangles and the one twos. Whereas if they stay disciplined and narrow, again, that's when you start seeing the number of crosses escalate and you see the overall creative output tends to really drop. So that's kind of how analytically I've started um, thinking about this. And if you, that's why I think Sunday will be interesting because, you know, it's like the microcosm of all of these difficult things that <laughs> manifest in one game, including the pitch. When, when, when yeah. we played, when we played Livingston away in the first game that we played in the season at their place, they played a quite an aggressive press, but when we played them at Celtic Park, they, they were really, really bunkered down into a very low, low block. Yeah. Mm. That's exactly right. Yeah. So their average distance when they engaged was completely different between those two games. And again, we've talked about this before. I don't know what the legacy uh, at Livingston is analytically, but the guy who was there is now at Man City. Um, Mm. So they've made some, you know, they've been significantly outperforming their resources for a while now. Um, And I think it's not completely, you know, luck or just the manager being skilled or anything like that. I think they've been making some smart um, analytical choices as far as how they build their team relative to what their advantages are playing at the macaroni. Um, And then even going on the road, they tend to do things that are pretty smart uh, and give themselves better chances to win knowing that they don't have the best players and, you know, those, those types of things. Yeah. On your your comment about the weather and and mood and things that that that, that kind of plays into an old football I, I suppose tripe you could call it in the sense of fair weather players mm-hmm. you know they they're really good when the sun is shining but can they do it when the uh, rain is pouring down like that's sort of a thing it is a thing i mean people play it's nice to play football in sunny weather that's dry and um, so winter weather is obviously tough in scotland there's a reason why players prefer London over Manchester and Newcastle and all these places in England. Um, you know, the weather is nicer. There's other things to do. But um, on the situation of space and pressing and how teams are setting up against against this, I, I, I guess a lot of people who are watching this on TV would have been watching it on some sort of stream, uh, probably the Celtic TV one. And I thought there was actually an interesting observation on it. There's not too, there's not too often where I'm sitting watching Celtic TV and I think, whoa, that's actually... It's that's a good spot there, but last night I think there was Saint Mirren were sitting back deep, and Starfelt saw a lot of the ball, as did Cameron Carter Vickers and, and Juranovic, and a lot of it was on the halfway line, and all of our players were pushed forward. Juranovic was pushed forward. Greg Taylor was up, and as was Abada and Jota, and suddenly everything is so compact because you have essentially twenty one players playing in one half so there's not a lot of space to work with there and one of the observations they made was if our defense was maybe five yards further back then the starting position of the entire team should be pulled about five yards start further back so there's more space to work into rather than 
trying to go into these corridors that are already packed full of players and suddenly when you get the ball you're static there's nothing you can do because you know there's no space to run into and mm. i just thought that was an interesting thought from i can't remember whether it was jerry mcculloch or the the cocom who said it but it, it definitely makes sense theoretically that if we pulled ourselves back a little bit then we would have more space to work into rather than getting the ball in static motionless positions with not a lot of space to work into well, I think that depends on the strategy of the opponent, meaning that if they're just going to sit back and let you do that and not come out. And, and I think that's where there is some distinction here, what I've been trying to build this study, which is each team, you know, a, a mother well for the most part um, is easier to pull out because they tend to not stay as narrow. Um, and, and you can, you know, pull the guys with and also forward. Whereas as Alan said, I mean, uh, their striker yesterday was – basically the only guy that was coming out beyond what 40 yards <laughs> um mm -hmm. you know so they they've they it was very difficult to to pull them out um yeah, yeah. and again I, I, if i was if i was them like this is what we talked about this in prior shows i mean i to me there's a fairly obvious um strategy for opponents coming to celtic park in particular if, if you're going to try and get anything out of a game and again maybe you hope to get one or two chances and you score on one or both of them kind of like they did. I mean, they basically had two mm. chances the whole game. One, one was the one that Hart came out and got, and another one was a good cross that no one was there for. That was like, you know, seven yards out, eight yards out that if someone had been there, you know, could have been finished. But outside of that, you know, and that that's kind of the script I think for most of these bottom six teams, which is, you know, you play for a draw and if you get, one or two chances that you can convert or a corner or a set piece, then, you know, it's boring and it's not, uh, it's not entertaining, but, you know, to Alan's point, we were saying about the seasonality when you're scrounging, trying to get in the top six, or you're trying to get out of relegation zone or, you know, some of these other things. I mean, it's every point, particularly picking up at a point at Celtic park can be a huge deal. Mm, big time. And it's, it's not a one, size fits all sort of thing as well because I mean Liverpool play an extremely high line but they've got Virgil van Dijk to ping balls over the top really quickly and start an attack before St. Mirren are back in position but Celtic don't have that. In terms of the two defenders and their ball play Alan last night I thought Starfield actually did quite well when he was in possession he he carried the ball out a bit a bit more he did and yeah. was a bit more confident on the ball essentially than what we've seen from him. Yeah no he did and actually it was another plus for me in general, Starfield. But just on that point, he actually completed 21 pack passes by half time, which is incredible. Uh, 20 would be a lot for a 90-minute game. So, I mean, now these weren't like sort of um, expansive passes. These weren't taking out defenders. These were just getting past that initial press of, usually the press of three, the, the winger and the, and, the set, and the striker, and maybe one of the midfielders at, at a push. So it's relatively conservative packing passes but nevertheless yeah he he, he, he did that really well um carter vickers actually only only provided three um but they were much more um they took a lot more players out of the game because he does have that ability to say to play that inside right pass to the to the usually to the um to the number eight on that side whereas most of um, starfelt's passes are to the fullback or maybe mcgregor just just taking out one or two players but having said that he at least got through that initial line and uh, got got the play moving um very well and, and in general 
I think I've not really looked at his numbers recently, but I think his play he looks he looks a lot more safe, right? So what I what I suspect if I look at his numbers is that um his he's still losing. You think about the back to the Hibs game, right? Hibs maybe had three moments of of of, of danger in the game. And I think I think I'm right in saying two of them came because Starfelt lost a headed headed duel. Okay. So so it, you know it is even for Celtic, you might not prioritize winning headed duels for the way that we want to play, it's still important in being able to defend. And Sarfield will never be good in head of duels. I just don't, you know, what he has cut out is individual errors. That's, I think his error rate has gone way down. So I think he's just looking a lot more solid in that regard. Um, but yeah, he, he was the main fulcrum in terms of getting that initial press. But then after that, it was it was a real struggle. Um, you really were looking, I mean, or, or actually O'Reilly did create four chances in that half. He, he, he seems to have this habit of being, seeming to be quiet. And then you look at the data and you think, actually, he's, he's done quite a lot of stuff at the pointy end of the pitch. You know, he's he's had a couple of shots and he's created four chances. How did, how did that happen? So, mm. but, but, but but in general, we in both games, Hibs game and this game, we've struggled to get the creative players into the game. And poor, poor old Hitati just looks like he, he needs to go and have a lie down. He's he looks so far off it. I don't know whether he's whether it's nerves, whether it's fatigue or what, but he's just his timing's not there. Everything's just not it's just not happening. He's not timing the ball properly. He's not he's 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 he's, he's hitting it to where the player was five minutes ago or, or will be in two minutes. He's not it's just not working for him at the moment. I don't know why that is. It's but then you know, as some as Ange said, a lot of these players have been here for seven weeks. So what do we expect? Yeah. Yeah, the mistakes he's making screams fatigue to me in terms of just really simple, basic errors. I mean, there was mm-hmm. one point where he had the ball on the halfway line and he went to do sort of a, a flick back to Cameron Carter-Vickers and just completely, you know, mistimed the ball, didn't get anywhere near the player that he was trying and nearly mm-hmm. caused a, a St. Mirren counterattack. But we'll we'll see what happens as, McGregor was pushed forward to number eight with Bidon coming on. So again, that's interesting. Uh, you actually in 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 your opening answer, there's about seven or eight different topics that I'm, I, I've sort of scribbled down to get to. But one of them that I want to get to is the pass, general passing of the play, James. The passing is a split second, a split second too slow in in my opinion when it comes to the final pass. And I think that's where we're struggling to break down these teams. I think we're actually creating loads of opportunities to get into the box and create chances, but then the pass comes too late and suddenly the pass is not on anymore. It happened a couple of times with Forrest and it's the overlap from the winger uh, to the fullback where we're getting a player into the box and it just needs to be hit first time to them. And suddenly you've got a man in the box with a pullback or, or, or a low cross but they take one extra touch, then suddenly there's two players in the way. It, it, the, the play breaks down. It's quite frustrating. And it, that that really is just a case of moving the ball quicker. I, I think the team is doing what they're meant to be doing. I think that's what Ange is saying. But they just can't... They're not doing it quick enough, I guess, is the, the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, I, I think that the, uh, the speed with which the ball's moving um, has been an issue on the margin. I think... Uh, we've kind of reverted back to uh, decision-making, particularly at the wing position, um, being less than optimal at times. Um, so yeah, I, I looked at something, um, I think it was maybe Monday or Tuesday, uh, but if you look at uh, Abada and, and uh, Jota's shooting this season, um, 
they've scored basically one goal from outside 18 yards on like, I don't know, 52 shots, I think. And that was before yesterday. Um, and you know, the, the, the underlying data from their shooting is not great. Now, again, the sample size isn't massive. Um, but when these guys are cutting in for, particularly from an angled position and shooting through traffic, um, rather than recycling the ball or, or passing the ball and, and trying to, you know, um, make those more aggressive passes. And I, I think the flip side of that is our, um, our pressing and counter pressing, I think has reverted back to being a bit uneven. Uh, and some of that has to do maybe with personnel again, um, you know, talent's point Hatate has not looked um, great the last few games. So when he's been in there um, and we're kind of back to the same spot with the and Jota, which is pressing is not and counter pressing is not their strengths either. Uh, and, and that's reflected in their underlying um, defensive metrics. So you basically have a one headed monster. And I mean that affectionately running around um, like a lunatic and doing all kinds of good pressing. Um, and the reason why that's important and particularly with the context of counter pressing is that when we're, do, when we're making these uh, aggressive passes that aren't coming off and they're not right now for, in, in any size, uh, we're not doing a great job of winning the ball back in a way that's creating opportunities, right? So we're doing a good, we're, we're suffocating this. So the structure is suffocating. The system is suffocating the opposition because the opposition isn't very good. Um, so they're not good enough to be able to play out when we do that pressing, right? So we've seen that sliding scale with Bodo. So Bodo gave us a lot more problems because they have, you know, that higher level of player and, and coaching and system that they're playing. And as we move down domestically into these teams, they can't handle that when our system of pressing, but our, we're not creating enough um, because the people that are doing it, I think it's just not their strength. And um, so, you know, you get back to this issue of decision-making is not great. They're probably not great shooters from distance. At least that's what I've been able to ascertain ascertain so far. Um, and when we're when the creative passing isn't coming off, our counter pressing isn't really turn, translating into uh, really good opportunities. So that's I think why we're kind of getting bogged down against these bunkered teams uh, is because those different components aren't you know aren't really working, um, and we don't have a six foot four guy to lob the ball into. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, and there's a natural consequence. If you try and do things quicker, you're going to make more mistakes. Okay, right. so you you know if you try and get the ball forward quicker, um, you're going to be less accurate. You're testing people's technique to control it. Um, there's it's going to be a bit more random as to where where it precisely goes. And obviously, then if you're taking great care about your passing uh, and probing and patiently waiting for the opposition to fall out of alignment. Um, so, it, you know, we've got to accept the fact that as, as happened last night, there was going, there's going to be some, you know, what looks like poor play, poor technique, because you're trying to get the ball forward a bit quicker. You're trying to catch people off guard. You know, oh, you just gave the ball straight to the defender. Why did you do that? Well, in a split second, I thought I could just get it through that needle to Maeda's run. You know, there's going to be a lot of that, right? So this is, you, you're going to have to accept that that's the, the trade-off uh, between having a patient approach and having a more aggressive uh, passing approach. Yeah. To your point about the fans and getting on the back, though, I think fans are less likely to get frustrated by an attacking risky pass that goes astray than 
some of the things that happened last night where they got the ball and instead of going for the, the forward pass, there was a turn back and let's right. start the attack again. I think that's where, where a lot of the frustration came was when Celtic slowed the ball down and you just hmm. know that St. Mirren are just going to get their, their nine man behind the ball now into, into the space that they want. Uh, so, it, you know, it is a double-edged sword in a way, like you're saying, you know, these riskier passes have a lower lower percentage in, in completion, but it was, they also, it's, 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 it's a risk-benefit thing where, you know, yeah. you're going to... You know, I, mean, I, I, I suppose my, my not, not annoyance, that was not the right word, but I suppose my own frustration at people being frustrated at the team came from the fact that I just don't think it was appropriate. I, and I don't think it's appropriate mm. because of the, the unbeaten record that they're on in the league, right. the fact that they're top of the league and the fact that it's such... Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not Neil Lennon's it's, Celtic. It's, it's clearly such a young team and they're clearly trying to play a certain way and have been reasonably successful doing it. So I, I just don't think they deserve to have people on their back, really. Yeah. That, that, that was where I was coming from. But the other point I wanted to make is, you know, in terms of quid pro quo that we probably don't speak in, about enough, is that if we are, and it looks like we are, forcing teams to really into this low block and actually, our, our own expected goals as a team in the five performances that I mentioned has absolutely crashed. <laughs> you know, we've, we, 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 you know, whilst when we were when we were creating over two and a half xG a game, that to me has got enough uh, f- fat in it that you're going to probably going to win. You know, probably going to score a couple of goals every game. And that's probably going to be enough to win most games, right? But once mm-hmm. you drop down to one and a half, then you know, you have, are you really, you know, if you, you, you might not score in one game and then you lose one at the other end. But what is happening is that although we are not creating as many chances and it is more difficult for Celtic to create and more teams are have got this deep low block, is it, we're really hard to play against as well. And we're not giving up hardly any chances at all. And we still haven't conceded in the last 20 minutes of any game in the SPFL. And, and that is really hard for other teams. You know, it's very tough to play like St. Mirren did physically, you know, and to then have the energy to make the most of your opportunities. Now, we know that it does happen. We saw Dundee score with two chances from two set pieces. It does happen, um, as did Aberdeen similarly. So, you know, there's always still risk there, but we are, well, as much as it's 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 looking uh, a little bit turgid for us trying to score, we're horrible to play against for the opposition as well, and we're not giving them much to go on. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's, a, it's a long way up the pitch. I, I had a question for you, answer that, uh, or get your feedback on how I mm. kind of conceptualize this, which is I, I think of Ange Ball now. Now that we're almost, you know, what nine months into it, it it's it's very much a, um, you know, it's these wide overloads and the the uh, getting those triangles and making those runs into the half space and wide, and then looking for those uh, pullback crosses and. Uh, so basically get deep inside the opponent's 18, not in the box, but within 18 yards of the goal, usually a little wider than that, or maybe slightly inside in that half space and then cutting it back. Whereas, you know, like it's a Red Bull, their philosophy is uh, narrow, central, their overloads are central and then hyper counter pressing. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my mind, just intuitively, the way to go against Ange Ball is what these teams are starting to do, which is these, like you said, five three two, double the wingers. But you know, if they're going to be really wide, let them out there. If they want to lump the cross in, go ahead. But if they start entering that danger zone of of cro- uh, cutback crosses, um, and you're crowding the central part of the box with the defensive midfielders, 
I mean, again, these teams aren't all complete idiots. <laughs> They're starting to suss this out a little bit, I think. Um, and the question is, what do we do about it? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, Hibs, Hibs, Hibs was a great example. If you if you actually wanted to do an academic study on how to counter Angebol, the way Hibs set up is 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 actually perfect, <laughs> almost. I mean, I, I, did, I questioned it a little bit because they gave themselves virtually no chance to win the game. But if you just concentrated on how to set up a team defensively, right. not offensively, just defensively, to counter the way that Celtic play, it would be to do precisely what Maloney did, which is to double up on the wingers, to man mark central midfielders, and then you know to compress the compress the space in that way. Yeah, and if you're a team like Hibs, and not to get dragged into a conversation about other teams, but if you think about the Scottish League in the sense of Celtic and Rangers, if you beat if you're Celtic, if you beat Rangers twice in the year, you're likely going to win the league. Likewise, if you're a team like Hibs, if you don't lose to Celtic and Rangers rather than beating them, likelihood is the teams that you're competing with for that you know third or fourth place position are going to lose, and uh, that's where you can get your your sort of advantage. I, I think it should be said as well about how far this team has come from last year because I was just looking at the table, and at the end of the season last year, Celtic had 77 points. They'd scored 78 goals and they'd conceded a whopping 29 goals in the uh, the final game of the, season, the final uh, table. So that's 38 games, 78 goals, scored 29 goals, conceded 77 points. At the minute, Celtic, with nine games left to play in this season, are on 70 points. They've scored 62 and they've only conceded 17. So we're in a much, much better position than we were this time last year. So I think that's where you know maybe context is everything to performances and if the fans are getting frustrated right now if you're at the game you're you want Celtic to score but just think about where we were this time last year and maybe uh, take yourself back a little bit just before we finish up on this game maybe look ahead to the weekend uh, one final question for the creative side of things what do we do to get Dyson Mieta into the game more <laughs> In the first half, right, he touched the ball four times, and they were all shots on goal. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't complete a single pass, and he had four. He, he touched the ball four times in the box, and they were all attempts at goal. Now there were there were headers, and they didn't look like good chances. But actually, by most XG models, there were decent chances. Decent chances. I mean, one was inside the six yard box, actually. So um, you know that that and that, that this, 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 this is a deeper study to be done. I, I'm not sure it's a Maida thing. Um, the way that Celtic set up, the strikers just don't get involved hardly. I mean, and, you know, and this this notion of having more shots than passes uh, is is actually coming to fruition. I used to used to be the old. I used to joke about Lee Griffiths like that, but actually, <laughs> Lee Griffiths was like a a, a Zidane compared to, <laughs> to the way strikers play uh, under this system. So, and I wouldn't I wouldn't be worried about it, but people will worry if on such little possession the striker doesn't score. Then the question is, well, what are they doing? <laughs> what are they contributing? And that's with him. It comes back to the the, the pressing and, and and the stretching, the stretching of, of 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 defenders, moving people out of position, constant movement. Pe um, somebody made again. Actually, there was a, there were a few good comments from Stan Petrov on the Celtic TV coverage last night, and somebody else made. I think it was Tom Boyd made a quite an interesting comment about Maida, where he said, "I wish sometimes he would just stand still." And I used to play as a striker, and what he meant by that was. Sometimes when you stand still, everybody else moves away from you. 
and 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 it's almost like that. There's a little bit of that craft, that striker craft, that maybe he needs to learn. It's obviously a badge of honour for him, and and is where if he's not going to be linking the play and he's not going to be contributing to build up, then he's thinking, well, I'm chasing people down, I'm moving people out of position, I'm battering into people, I'm winning the odd challenge and getting the ball back high and all this sort of stuff. But actually, um, some, I think there's a bit of craft that he's missing in his play, which he's still a relatively young striker, so hopefully that will come. Yeah, so uh, Alan had pointed out the uh, the dynamics relative to the striker position in Ange's system, even back when Kyogo was fit and you know fully firing and and playing so tremendously. Um, he, he wasn't on the ball much. You know, it, it was more quality over quantity. Uh, so when I looked at and, and well, I'll, I'll other people that had scouted Maeda um, or. You know, just kind of the reports on Maeda out of the J League, some people that I read, J League analysts, that kind of stuff, was that, you know, he's he's not great on the ball. Like that's out of all his skill set. He's more of a finisher. He's not um, he's not someone that's going to carry the ball 23. You know, he's not a Jota. He's not going to carry the ball 30 yards and then have a dynamic one v one interaction with a defender, beat them and then you know, do something after that. He's, he's more making these runs. And if you think about that, again, within the context of Ange's system, Ange needs somebody on the end of those cutback crosses to finish, right? So that's what Kyogo was doing so tremendously well before he got hurt. Um, the big difference so far is that Maeda has not been finishing very well. And I think that'll change. I mean, I think that's so far, it's just normal variance. And the flip side, of that, I think why people are kind of calling for Jackamacus is probably because he's finished better. Uh, but again, if you look at the, the the depth of his career, he's not, you know, what I would consider um, an elite finisher. I mean, he pretty much scores the amount of goals he probably should. And he's scored a little more than he probably should so far. So, uh, you know, again, these things will, you know, vary, uh, um, vary depending on how things just kind of swing. So I think Maeda is probably due. He'll probably start scoring a little bit here. Um, but the other part of this is that neither Maeda nor um, Giacomacus, uh, their, their passing-related metrics, their carrying-related metrics, pretty much anything on the ball outside of scoring – is very good at all. <laughs> it's been really poor, actually. That's where Kyogo's different. Kyogo offers those extra things that those two do not. Um, and as Alan said, the one thing that Maeda offers that Jackamacus even doesn't. I mean, Jackamacus literally so far has just been he's shot well. He's finished. Yeah, you know, he's gotten in positions, not much more than what the other strikers have. So again, I would chalk that up more so to the system uh, working correctly. And to his credit, he's, you know, he's doing well within the system, what he should be doing, and he's been finishing. But pretty much outside of that, anything else he's doing on the ball, whether it's holding up and then passing, you know, taking the ball and trying to carry it and beat somebody, or even his pressing has not been great. His defensive activity is trying, but he's not being that effective in doing it. Um, whereas Maeda is at least offering that value as far as on the pressing side. Um so I get the I get the obvious inclination going into Sundays. People are going to say, "Oh, you know, bring Jack Amakis in. We need somebody to, you know, because of the compressed game and all that stuff." And I, I, I think that's a dual-edged sword. I, I don't have a strong, 
you know, um, opinion on one or the other. You could play both like we did, I forget which game it was, where Maeda was out to the left and um, Jota was out, right? And that's actually probably what I would lean more towards is if I was going to drop somebody, it would probably be Abada. But um, so I just want to raise that, that, you know, we're, we're trying to replace Kyogo right now with two people that have different skill sets and are pretty deficient in the area. If they do get on the ball much, it's usually not turning into a good outcome. So it's almost like we don't want them on the ball. <laughs> um, can, I just, so, can I just give you their XG and goals numbers? Because I think uh, you'll be, I think you'll be surprised based on what you've just said. Yep. So, so, okay. So let's take, um, let's take Kyogo first of all. Okay. He's scoring 0.78 goals per 90 minutes. But his XG, his non-penalty XG, is only 0.57. Okay, Maeda is scoring 0.5 goals per 90 minutes, so a goal every other every other game. But and his XG is actually 0.44. Okay, Jim Jackamakis is scoring 1.13 goals per 90 minutes, and his XG is 1.18. It's double the other two. His XG is double, and he's now played. More than ten games worth of ninety minutes. He's now past the nine hundred minute benchmark. So he's he's got he's got double the xG of the other two strikers. So based on that form, you'd have him in the team because these are they're, they're quite impressive numbers, right? The the one argument I would make on behalf of Maeda against Livingston this weekend, if we were to turn to this weekend, is the natural in- in- inclination against a team like Livingston is to put a Jackamacus in, and I can completely understand the argument of why you would, but then you're getting sucked into what Livingston want you to do. I mean, Livingston want a big guy up front against them because they know how to defend against that. That's that's what that's their bread and butter. You know, if you have a guy like Jackamacus in the box, you're more inclined to play more crosses in. You're more inclined to try to get the ball into him or play hold up play. And that's what Livingston, you know, that's what they live for, essentially. So that, that's the one argument I would make against Jackamacus this weekend, although um I would be putting him into the team for this weekend. Yeah, but if you're putting him into the team and you're firing low hard balls at him, uh, his his movement and finishing are excellent. So mm-hmm. yeah, you, yeah, you don't want you don't want him having an arm wrestle with their big centre half. No, but, no, but yeah. you do you do you do want to give him a chance to attack low hard crosses. Yeah, for sure. So, what are we thinking then this weekend in the you know the Tony Macaroni Arena or the I don't know what you want to call it. It's the toughest stadium that we seem to <laughs> go to at the at this point in the season. Um, just Livingston. Are we expecting like I, I, I genuinely think if Celtic go in and score early, game done, you know, Livingston will not trouble Celtic whatsoever. Although they have sprung up to fourth in the table, which is just yeah, bizarre. But, um, well, yeah, but they got the same number of points as, as Hibs and Dundee United. Basically, yeah, it's like playing yeah. Hibs and Dundee United, right? The same number of points. Yeah. So tough game. Absolutely gonna be a tough, tough game. A t- tough game. I, I think if Celtic scored early, Celtic will win the game easily, but the longer it goes on, the more difficult it becomes. That's not very profound, but that's essentially how I see the game going. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those games where um, you know the bounce of the ball is is you know we, we got a couple of good bounces yesterday, which was um, uh, welcome developments, and um, that seems to be something that's compounded on that pitch. And uh, I think 
again, I, with all the diving into keeper related analytics I've been doing in the last few months, one of the things that uh, their keeper sh- uh, stands out is I think he's a pretty good long kicker, uh, like Alan was yesterday. Meaning that they they uh, when they have the time to do it, meaning that you know Maeda was giving Alnwick some uh, uh, headaches yesterday and rushing him some, uh, understandably. But uh, when when they seem to have the time to do it, they can place the ball where they are trying to more than they don't. And the thing about um, Livingston is that they can leverage that because they're not, uh, you know, they're smart enough to not go challenge for balls. They're not going to win. So they play, you know, they'll let a Starfelt uh, or more so a, a Carter Vickers um win the ball and play for second balls, right? So instead of having one of their guys go up and lose a header, they, you know, compete for something, they'll drop off. So you'll notice that probably. Cluj, it's like Cluj. Just there, that was exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's play for second balls. Don't even try to really attack that first one uh, unless your probabilities, you know, unless it's Greg Taylor versus somebody or maybe Starfelt. So they'll be smart about that, I think. They have a keeper that can put the ball where they're probably going to try and do it and then it's chaos right it's it's where does the ball bounce and you know so that that's their kind of recipe i think is when they do get those opportunities to get the ball forward win those second balls create chaos and they are at their level pretty reasonable at pinging the ball around on that pitch and and um getting crosses into the box so you know i I it's really going to be interesting um now having said that you know we did I mentioned it earlier they, they they have been more aggressive against us at home um so hopefully that creates a little more room a little more space potentially um and creases for guys like o'reilly and depending on who plays i'm assuming o'reilly plays um who else plays in midfield to, to maybe make some of those carving passes but yeah i mean it's I, what do they say about the definition of insanity? I mean, it's, at what point do we just <laughs> know going into this game that it's not going to be a beautiful thing and um, it's probably going to be a bit of a struggle? Hmm. So, so, I mean, I, I looked at the that game again, um, that 1-0 loss, and just a few contextual things, because as always, context is important, and we tend to just focus on the result and not, and not those contextual points get lost in the mist of time. So that game came off the back of the 4-3 match in Betis, in Seville, against against Real Betis, which was arguably the most exhausting game Celtic have played this season. It was not only was it played in pretty pretty hot conditions, it was just a high pressing, attacking, end to end, exhausting affair. Um absolutely thrilling football match. And we played them on the back of that that game. That was on the Thursday and played played them on the Sunday. We had a midfield of McCarthy, Turnbull and Rogic and a Yeti up front. And if you want a midfield and a striker that is the antithesis of, 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 of Angeball, that, that's, that would be pretty close. And what do I mean by that? I mean just the, the energy, the uh, ability to move the ball quickly, uh, the the counter pressing capability uh, that that is not a good that is not a good core of four players to have in the centre of the pitch, and what happened was that they pick, they didn't they didn't stick a big lad up front they put Graham Shinney up front or one of the Andrew Shinney Andrew Shinney up front uh, who's actually a mid midfielder by trade, and they packed the midfield with 
small, quick, athletic players, and they just chased after Celtic whole, all game. And those four players that I've mentioned, one one of their common characteristics is they're not quick. They're not quick to turn on the ball. They're, they're relatively slow players. You know, they're they're they're, they're not moving quickly. Uh, and and that was what was really noticeable on the combination of the pitch and the pressing intensity meant that Celtic's midfield just couldn't couldn't get their heads up, couldn't couldn't get the forward pass out quick enough. So the lesson for me from that is that you know we pretty much go with what we what we started with last night. You you, you put Hatati back in, you put O'Reilly back in, you have Rodriguez, and you get and you move the ball quicker. Um, and, and it's going to be completely different midfield to what we played when we lost there earlier in the season. I don't I don't think the home game that was a draw te- will, te- will teach us as much because it's on a different pitch. And as I say, they they bunkered in, which I don't think they'll do. On Sunday, and also we played a midfield there of Bitten, McGregor, and Turnbull, and Bitten did not once go beyond the number eights, so he was just sitting there. It was, it was a waste of a shirt, effectively. Uh, I don't, and again, I don't see us repeating that mistake. So, but you know, if you look at other games against teams where we've had thirty touches in the box, ten shots inside the box, you know, we've generally won these games. We beat Motherwell 2-0, St. Johnson 2-1, Ross County 2 0 We've generally won those games. If we, if we if we can create the same attacking output as we have done in those two games with that better balanced and capable midfield that I've mentioned, then you know, and and, and you know, we're 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 miles ahead of where we were at that point in terms of cohesion and team identity and, and the way of playing. So I'm not being complacent, I'm just saying that's the context. This is where we are today, you know. Yes, it could all go tits. Yes, they could score from a free, from one or two free kicks. Absolutely, but uh, you know, it, it, it's just Livingston, mate. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, my, my my concern, my anxiety is more so. I think there's a pretty good chance they'll score at least a goal, right? So then that um, they've lost six home games, by the way, in the league this season. Yep, more than more than they've won. Yep. Um, but again, they play differently against some of these other teams, um, and and that's I, I, I get concerned that they'll the likelihood is or the, the higher likelihood than you might think that they'll score, and then that means we probably have to score too, and that's where I get back to the you know um, I get more nervous is can we score two there? And of course we can, um, but it's you know do we create enough chances where the probability of that's really high? I, I think that's where the anxiety comes in. Mm. Well, <laughs> let's hope so. Let's hope so. Absolutely. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm Path not gonna needed. say that. I'm not gonna say that I'm looking forward to a good performance because every time I do that, we just seem to play absolutely cat. So I'm. I'm gonna say I'm looking forward to watching Celtic play football. That's that's all I'm gonna say <laughs> going into this game. That'll do us, I think, for the huddle breakdown this week. Um, look, loads of comments coming in on the YouTube channel. Sorry, we didn't get to all of them, but I have a life of my own and I have to get out to training, so. I promise you we will do a Q&A sometime soon when we get a chance and there's a bit of relief in the season where we get a chance to answer more of your questions. If you want to get the podcast, we're available on Spotify and on iTunes and wherever you get your podcast or you can get us here on YouTube as well on the Breakdown Inc. YouTube channel. Just hit the subscribe button below. Alan, James, thanks again. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. All right, we'll chat to you next week. Good luck. (laughs) 